legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host, Greg Moffat, and my guest today is Justin S. Grant, who joins us to discuss his book, Business and Spirituality, Secrets of Personal, Professional, and Planetary Evolution. History shows us that the status quo is likely to be overturned when it no longer serves the greater good. When yesterday's protective walls become today's oppressive prisons, group energy shatters the outworn forms. These inefficient and violent swings of boom and bust, oppression and revolution, might be prevented entirely through a wiser approach. As the inner life of humanity intensifies, acceleration occurs throughout society. As above, so below. As within, so without. This cause and effect relationship is likewise expressed as the illumination of our collective psyche, leading to increased light and electrical radiance in the material world. While the dangers of this progression are very real, so too are the opportunities. Despite the outer chaos and confusion that is demonstrated on a global scale, is there a divine plan for our planet? Hello and welcome, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you, Greg. Excited to be here. Justin, today we're going to talk about your new book that's entitled Business and Spirituality, Secrets of Personal, Professional and Planetary evolution. Before we dive into that, just tell listeners a little bit about your background and your work in general. Yeah, thank you. So my name is Justin S. Grant, and I'm a native of Southern California. And um, since my early adulthood, I became enthralled with um, spiritual topics and comparative religion and devotional music, and also began doing an IT consultancy business. So as the decades have gone by, I have continue to grow and learn in both these capacities. And um, I, in the past few years, went to, uh, received a master's degree um, from the University of Philosophical Research here in Los Angeles and uh, in transformational psychology, which is spiritual psychology and um, psychology that is meant towards being evolution, evolutionary and transformational. And so um, I wove these themes all together into the book, Business and Spirituality. And um, the book uh, has dual, the title of the book has dual meaning in that it's both business refers to whatever we're busy with all day long, whether we're a teacher or a student or an executive or an entrepreneur. Um, and then business also obviously means uh, corporations, you know, and companies that are such important um, entities on this planet right now. Um, and then spirituality is what religions are meant to share with all of us um, and teach us. And uh, it's it's unitive, meaning there's no particular religion that's 
um, favored in this uh, so that it's it's meant to preach and be practical for anyone who wants to blend their material busyness life with their eternal spiritual life so yeah in a nutshell nutshell that's uh, what where I'm coming from and what what the book is about now there's various sections in your typical bookstore that you can go to to find mm -hmm. books on business you know um, books on success and also mm -hmm. books on marrying public mm -hmm. and personal life and ways to integrate them better and inspirational books for businessmen and women, motivational books, on uh, not just personal, but professional. However, as you mention uh, in your own book, that many of these have a tendency to preach to the choir. People, you know, the same sorts of people are buying the same sorts of books and buying the same sorts of courses. So right. the scope of your book is nothing if not vast, but I think you're really wanting to, to reach out beyond the usual um, audience for these sorts of things and straight away i hear myself saying these sorts of things and your book is a bit different but i think you're trying to mm -hmm. to, to to broaden this out the scope of this aren't you yeah indeed so i mean there are a lot of wonderful books on strictly business and there are a lot of wonderful books on religion and spirituality um and there are some books that try to merge them together in the the way of manifesting prosperity in your life through spiritual visualization um, but this book is meant to be unique in that it's comprehensive um, in that it covers ground as to what some of these universal spiritual teachings are um, and then really talks about practical ways as to how we can integrate them into our daily life, our, our busyness, um, regardless of what, what we're doing, whether it's at a traditional workplace or even in the home or um, in some sort of nonprofit organization. So, yeah, I do think it's unique um, and it is comprehensive in scope, as I mentioned and, and you alluded to. Um, um, so I think it's something that many people can benefit from if they're open to um, the energetic universe uh, and the, the ways of spirituality that religions have been trying to, to share with us down through the ages. Well, it's interesting. I was reminded reading your book of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. which is perhaps mm -hmm. the, the foundational text really for um mm -hmm. you know motivational books in terms of personal success but that book although there's some parts of it were redacted in later printings if you get a mm. a, a fully mm -hmm. restored copy of it now napoleon hill and his the people the um industrialists and business people that he interviewed generally they don't deny or issue the the spiritual mm -hmm. and non-material dimensions of life and business. You know, they, they, they have mm -hmm. pointed to their success in incorporating some of this and having, mm -hmm. being a multi-dimensional personality. Yeah. So it's interesting that that, 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 that's there. That material is in a book like that, mm -hmm. but that it's so much mm -hmm. of it got lost along the way, you know, throughout the 20th century as, you know, industry gained traction and business boomed. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. definitely a very important dimension got lost. And of course, that, mm -hmm. a lot of the people didn't realize that was actually key to personal and business success. Right, right. Fascinating. I didn't know that about that, that book. Um, so certainly that book is a classic. Um, and, you know, to answer your question, what I think is interesting is that we're all a product of our place and time to a certain extent. And growing up in the so-called Western culture, um, we have in very many ways, a secular society. But if we travel the world and even if we just experience, you know, non-Westernized people in our home city, uh, I think it's, it's rather 
we're, we're in the minority having this secularized world. And in other parts of the country and um, other throughout the world, there there's just there's not so much separation between business and spirituality, as it were. So um, now there are many benefits to having a secular world, especially that people can come together in a workplace and not really have to have conflict over their varying beliefs. Um, but there are also detriments, um, and that's that I believe that we're all spiritual beings. And so if we spend five days a week, 40, 50, 60 hours a week, um, more or less ignoring our spiritual component, well, if that goes on for too long, people simply begin to get sick and depressed and bored and lack vision, and all of that is disastrous to the bottom line of a business, right? Um, or, you know, whatever you're busy with, you know, even if it's not a business per se. So I think it's really important that um, we continue to build on our the benefits of our more secular society and try to find ways that we can reintroduce uh, the spiritual component into uh, society in the in that a way in a way that's not bothersome or offensive to people of varying belief systems. So this book does explore how all of that could happen um, in depth, and uh, yeah, if people are open-minded to it. I think they'll find a lot of value and interesting ideas um, as to how that could work. And what's what's interesting um, and something I do talk about throughout the work is that. Many Fortune 500 companies already have um, thriving meditation and yoga classes. Um, and so this book just really builds on the idea that this doesn't have to be strange if if people are doing it in, in group formation and if nothing's being forced on anyone. Um, and if it's spiritual but not religious so that, you know, we don't have to have conflict over varying beliefs and, and instead we just acknowledge that we're all spiritual beings living in a material world and we need to not, not only need to but we we thrive when we uh, we blend these two different dimensions of ourselves um, together and bring it into our workplace because really work is probably is is the primary part of what we do throughout our entire adult lives so it's if something is very much lost if uh, we just ignore our essential spiritual component as we're dealing with our our busyness and uh whatever it is that we we think is important during our work week well a lot of people i know when they hear the expression spiritual but not religious will roll their eyes because they they can't mm -hmm. separate the two they see mm -hmm. it as, they see it mm -hmm. as a meaningless mm -hmm. statement mm -hmm. and a lot of people right. run, run from anything with it with the word spiritual attached to it because they associate it exclusively with religion and i think that the negative impacts of organized religion over the ages as colors, I mean, it, it, in many ways, it gave rise to the scientific mm -hmm. revolution and later the industrial revolution, which we all have benefited from, or most of us on the planet have benefited mm -hmm. from, but we're also casualties right. of it as well. And I think right. The, right. the pendulum tends to swing too far in either direction in, sure. ma in matters of uh, materialism and spirituality or science and spirituality. And I think what your book is addressing is the fact that, you know, we do have the spiritual dimension to our our beings and mm -hmm. that that has no religious connotations as such. Religion was just one set of systems for trying to interpret mm -hmm. reality and understand the world. Uh, it's not some mm -hmm. kind of fundamental any more than science is. Science is another way of trying to understand the world. And I think if your mm -hmm. book's about anything, it's about synthesis. 
that mm-hmm. philosophy, mm-hmm. religion, science, these are all aspects of our quest for meaning and understanding. And it isn't a case of either or. It's also and. Mm-hmm. Said, you know, when you integrate these things, then you get more rounded view of the world and a more rounded uh, human being. And I think that's actually the direction of travel. I'm pleased to say a lot of shows I've done over the years have, have covered a convergence of science and for mm-hmm. want of a better word, of spirituality. So I think that's the direction things are moving in. So I think, you know, your book's definitely not only riding a wave, but helping to, to give mm-hmm. um, impetus to that. Wonderful. Yeah, there's a lot of great points in what you just said, Greg. And so, yeah, you started out with the fact that Many people don't appreciate the term spiritual, but not religious. Um, so to address that, indeed, um, spirituality and religion are intertwined. There's no tiptoeing around that. Um, and organized religion is responsible for all sorts of horrors throughout human history and, you know, uh, in present day times too. Um, but what I would, what I discussed just in the introductory pages of the book and what's how I would answer that is that in our more scientific age that we're living through now, um, we have the perhaps most famous equation, E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So this essentially is saying that the entire material, material universe that we live in is actually all made of energy. And that's really just identical what religions have been saying throughout the ages, which is that this material world that we live in is all made of spirit. You know, religions called it spirit and didn't have an equation for it. Uh, science calls it energy and, and has formed an equation for it. But really, they're saying the same thing, just in different directions. Um, so, um, yeah, once again, we are spiritual beings living in a material world and, and physical bodies. And it's imperative that we don't totally separate these things, especially with regard to whatever we do for work throughout most of our adulthood. Um, and then... To speak to the other um, point, which is that people have been disgusted with what organized religion has done throughout the ages, uh, again, I would pretty much agree with all of those criticisms. But human beings are both social beings and spiritual beings. And when you put those two elements together, you get organized religion um, or something similar. So there's just really no, no avoiding it um, in spite of the obvious imperfections that uh, organized religion does exhibit. Um, so the term spiritual but not religious is kind of an outgrowth of theosophy, which is, you know, 150 years old and or so, depending on how you want to um, track the history of it. And theo means God and osophy means um, study of, so uh, or wisdom, excuse me. So theosophy is God wisdom. And that has given rise to this term spiritual but not religious because um, as humanity globalizes and becomes more intertwined than ever before throughout human history, um, we need to continue to evolve our spiritual and religious beliefs in ways that are more unitive and less tribal, um, as may have been appropriate in past times when human beings just weren't nearly as, um, just didn't have the same sort of unity that, that we're approaching now. Um, and then the final point uh, I would make in something I mentioned in the book um, is that while the criticisms of organized religion are pretty much all valid, um, not only is organized religion in some form unavoidable for the reasons that I stated, but also if we stop and think about it, every weapon of war was created by science, right? 
I mean, religions don't create swords or, or bombs, right? That's created in some, what can roughly be called the scientific sphere of human activity. So um, if people want to do away with religion because of all the valid criticisms, well, if we apply that logic to science, because, you know, pretty much everyone can agree that war is hell on earth, um, and if science is responsible for all of the weapons of war, well, what if somebody came along and said, we just need to get rid of science, and then we'd have uh, more harmony on this world? on this planet. So, of course, that would be a ridiculous statement, um, you know, a throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so, so to speak. Um, so we sensible people would not suggest that for science, um, considering what the horrors that it too has brought to our planet. And so I think it's unfair to try to dismiss organized religion outright um, for the same reason and following up with that analogy. Well, you mentioned, you alluded to that just now, but you mentioned in the book that uh, mankind, humankind, had science before it had religion. Right. And it's, it's interesting right. if, you, if you, for some people, that sounds kind of counterintuitive because the, right. uh, you know, a quick right. thinking back to the, you know, the, the early days of, of humans, mm -hmm. we, we think of them living in a, you know, a, a mystical state and not understanding their mm -hmm. environment and um, mm -hmm. praying to gods. But prior to that, there was the, just the, the animal needs, you know, the, the mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy, there was just the quest for food, the quest for shelter, mm -hmm. the quest mm -hmm. for fire. But at mm -hmm. some point, as those basic needs were met, then humans began to seek meaning mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and interpret the world in ways that we might call religious or spiritual. So mm -hmm. the, 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 the role of science predated that. It was when humans um, had got past, you know, that basic, those basic survival uh, needs mm -hmm. that was able, able to then uh, consciousness expanded into okay w you know why are we here what does this mean you know what are we part yeah. of so uh, and those questions right. those questions inform science to this day a lot of people uh, don't acknowledge that the sort of the mystical dimension of science because at the end of the day religion science philosophy they're all quests for the same thing meaning and purpose truth mm. and truth yeah mm. yeah yeah indeed I, I do mention that in the book I mean from the first time a caveman picked up a rock or a club, that was proto-science, really. And um, in all likelihood, that happened before that same caveman or cavewoman started dreaming about what is the meaning of life and who is my creator, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, even though we are living through this age of science and there are all sorts of wonders and really miracles that science is bringing us, um, as it flourishes um, in this day and age, uh, in a sense, science is is the oldest search for truth and the oldest uh, sphere of human activity because it's so related to the material world and surviving in the material world. Um, and then, yes, religion came along later, and then especially with the agricultural revolution, people finally discovered farming and were able to settle. And that's when um, modern civilization began. Um, and things like patriarchy and organized religion um, and philosophies really um, flourished and, uh, well, began to grow and then began to flourish because it just really wasn't possible um, before farming and settling uh, for human beings to, to organize any aspect of their life because they were just wandering hunter-gatherers for the most part and um, looking to survive another day and not really having the space or capacity to for these higher levels of, of human activity and deeper levels of spiritual thought. Well, thinking about the Jacob's Ladder analogy, 
that you you, mm-hmm. you mentioned in the book, sort of like the evolution or the ascension of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there are things along the way that that humanity has uh, explored or stumbled upon that probably should be or have been kind of abandoned. Okay, that didn't work. But the whole point is to, it's like, you know, our life pattern, you know, we, we make mistakes and we learn from them, but there are things that we carry with us all our lives, dimensions of our personality. You know, we don't constantly keep forgetting where we've been and who we are. And taking that in the terms of the, the human journey, everything about the earliest days of the species wasn't bad. So we should be building and growing as we go along, not trying to exchange one you know, worldview, but completely abandoning, you know, baby with bathwater, as you say. So in our current, you know, scientific age or since the scientific and industrial revolutions, it's so much has, we've discovered so much about life, the universe and everything. So, but we don't need to let go of everything prior to that because we learned something there as well. So, and as we continue to move forward, we shouldn't be, you know, returning to some anti-scientific age, we should be integrating what we learn along the way and mm-hmm. keeping what mm-hmm. works and, and letting go of what doesn't serve us anymore. And I think at the minute that may be beginning to change, but at the minute we've got ourselves into a bit of a um, an era of what some people call scientism, which is an mm-hmm. over-reliance or, you know, on the ability of a science to, to, to guide us and have the answers. And But we're increasingly finding that you know, that's not providing us with the answers that we seek, or it's providing partial answers. And one of the most interesting things about cutting edge science, of course, is what that's beginning to tell us. And that's um, some people are kind of trying to avoid the implications of of quantum science, for for example, because su- mm-hmm. suggesting some things that are mm-hmm. on the face mm-hmm. of it anti scientific. Uh, they're not, of course, <laughs> but it's just they're not. You know, it's a new science, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that Albert Einstein went to his grave despising quantum physics because it just didn't fit um, either the material universe idea or even his energetic universe idea because uh, it's just so irrational um, and in so many ways. So, and I've also heard people say if you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics. <laughs> so I didn't uh, touch the the term or the subject in my book, but instead I use a similar related scientific um, explanation that merges spirituality and science, which is this also mysterious concept of the bulk of the universe being made up of dark energy and dark matter. Um, So I don't know how that relates to quantum physics or if it does at all, but the point is they are both ways of, they're both leading with, ways of scientific thought that are um, approaching things that are very much in harmony with what religions have been teaching throughout the ages. So you opened your your comment with um, Jacob's Ladder, and um, that relates to his dream, which is symbolical of a ladder that stretches from earth to heaven, or in other words, from the material dimension to the spiritual dimension. And um, in all religions, they talk about the number seven and the rainbow. And so if we study all-important light, we see that unitary white light splits into trinity, um, red, green, and blue light, uh, which incidentally are what the pixels on all of the computer and device screens that we look at all day long are made of. You know, They're all firing combinations of red, green, and blue light to get any color. Um, and then finally, this unitary light, which can split into a trinity, can also be split into 
rainbow, a seven. Um, so Jacob's Ladder relates because we can also think of the universe itself um, and then by relationship, humans themselves is having, being able to be viewed as a unity, you know, one human, or as a trinity, which could be a person, a evolving soul, and an eternal spirit, or is even a, a sevenfold human being with these seven different dimensions ranging, again, from the, the lower physical nature to an intermediary mental and soul nature, and then ultimately to a, a spiritual, eternal life aspect nature. So, yeah, all of this relates together and is discussed in the book. And the point is, it's really, as religion and science continue to evolve, they can find more and more points of commonality. Um, and then it's fair for both of them to acknowledge that what was believed 10,000 years ago or even 20 years ago is uh, has been disproven and it needs to be let go of. Now, science generally is not attached to the idea that it is eternal and from God. And so science can evolve more easily, perhaps, than religion with its scriptures that may be hundreds or even thousands of years old. But um, religion simply needs to evolve or, or it will die. And it may seem unthinkable that some of these massive religious movements that exist today could ever go away. But actually, depending on how you want to count it, I mean, humanity's seen over a hundred thousand religions come and go throughout our history. And some of those were major religions, like, you know, the ancient Egyptian civilization and its religions were amongst the greatest. And also the Greco-Roman traditions were, um, omnipresent and omnipotent in their era. But, um, for various reasons, they, they dissolved. So the same can and will happen to organized religions if they don't evolve because the people and the science will We'll move on without them. Um, and all of this ties back into the theme of the book, which, uh, again, by the law of analogy, um, businesses need to continue to evolve uh, as well, or else they, they will simply die. So it, it's, all, it's all intertwined, and it's all fascinating. And if we keep an open mind, and if we don't allow ourselves bias in any particular direction, saying, well, I get truth from science, or I get truth from religion, well, if we embrace philosophy, religion, and science, um, we we just have a better chance of getting near to truth. And of course, truth is an infinite and ephemeral concept, but um, for seekers of the truth, uh, it's best, I believe, if we do not limit ourselves to any particular path and we're open to um, brilliance and wisdom coming from any, any direction and any source. Well, yeah, I mean, that's put a thought in my mind. Why, for example, would you rely on one of your senses to navigate mm -hmm. your way in the world? Mm -hmm. You know, why would mm -hmm. you say, I'm going to make my way through life with just my sense of smell? That will tell, yeah, right. tell, tell you something about the world and about reality, but you're going to be severely handicapped. Why would right. you just even, right. even rely on your sight? You know, you know mm -hmm. everyone knows, you know, that it's, you know, someone who's has lost one of their senses um, or someone who's, who's never had one, for example, someone who's born blind. We mm -hmm. understand that they're getting a partial picture, as we all are, but they're getting an even more partial picture of the world around them. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the, the sort of three pronged mm -hmm. approach that you, you know, well, philosophy, religion, science, and mm -hmm. even religion, I can still feel people recoiling there. Let's just mm -hmm. say that what we're referring to there is, you know, non-material dimensions mm -hmm. of reality and apprehension of that. 
Um, because right. again, we, right. we tend to think in terms of language and that's why for some people, even the word religion, the word religion is problematic. Some people, the word science is problematic, but it's like mm-hmm. you can change people's mm-hmm. perceptions of things just by changing the name of them. But, right. but yes, right. for anybody who wants, um, a good, ex- a good dramatized example of a major world religion, arguably the major world religion becoming bogged down in worldly affairs, I'd refer them to the, the movie, The Godfather Part Three, which is set against a background of corruption, uh, in the Vatican, uh, over business deals. And a lot of people, uh, I mentioned this in the context of the material and the spiritual and uh, the synthesis mm-hmm. that I mentioned earlier that your book is aiming for of these two worlds. Now, religions and churches and clerics and whatever, you know, people of churches need to engage with the world. Otherwise, they're basically, mm-hmm. you know, they become hermetic or like monks, you know, they they're just completely withdraw. And there are ways mm-hmm. to do that. Equally, we see that business that denies the spiritual dimension of life or of human beings is at best one-sided, at worst, um, extremely damaging. So another thing that I like about your book is bringing these two things together, the material and the spiritual, in on all scales from, from the corporate or, you know, religious institution mm-hmm. down to the personal, and this is something I believe that uh, you you were referred to me by Mitch Horowitz. He's a former guest of mine um, mm-hmm. on the show mm-hmm. here, and he writes a lot about New Thought, which uh, taps mm-hmm. into Napoleon Hill's ideas, which I was talking about earlier. And what he is very much about is saying that it's not evil to engage in worldly matters, of worldly affairs. It is not evil to to want anything material or to engage in the world, because as much as there is a spiritual dimension, and I think this is the thing that a lot of people struggle with, uh, they think that if they, if they want anything material, then this is somehow unspiritual and that they should deny that aspect of their desire. And that works both ways. But just this idea that we are, as much as there is a spiritual dimension to the universe uh, on that scale, right down to the individual human being, we, we've manifested here in this world. And mm-hmm. for my money, <laughs> to use that term, <laughs> we're we're, yeah. he, we're here to engage with it. If you see what I mean, that's yeah. what we're here to do in whatever way we see fit. But we're here to engage. Right. If someone chooses to completely withdraw, then that's the role they have, they have chosen. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com. <laughs>